you got to fight for that job every day. Like if not, there's somebody else, trust me, that wants that job. And especially after that mission, anybody would have taken my heart, my place in a heartbeat. No doubt about it. Nobody had to participate. We thought we were going to not make it back. We made sure our life insurance policies were filled out because we thought something would happen. One of the helicopters is going to get shot down. The house is going to blow up. I mean, we're going into Pakistan. It's like something bad is going to happen. It always does. And one of the helicopters did go down. But just luckily, everybody was a little bit prepared, so they pulled through. This one, I definitely couldn't say anything. I would just say I'm going on a trip, and I didn't tell my mom anything because I didn't want her to worry, and I didn't want to worry my grandparents. And with my dad, I just kind of I let him know that I might not be coming back this one because I really didn't think we were gonna make it home. I, I really thought we were dead. I just accepted it, I guess. Like this is totally worth it, 100%. Let's go do this, even if we get shot down on the way home. And the fact that we're probably going to get shot down after we kill this turd is, yeah, that seems pretty. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I just accept it. It was totally worth it. As long as we kill him, we're, we're good. Just get it done. And after that, I mean, it's in God's hands. We went through a few contingencies. And the one, like Murphy's Law, definitely kicked in. The one thing that we didn't plan for happened. But luckily, just... Say it again, just everybody's such a badass. From the intel people, the helicopter pilots, like, the one thing we didn't plan for, who gives a shit? Those guys are so awesome that, like, it's just working with the best in the world. Like, going from a near-death experience to killing the lot in a heartbeat. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assisty Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree, and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow, we can heal, and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. All right, welcome back, ATO listeners. This is the continuation of the legend Navy SEAL, Will Chesney. This is the uh, part two episode where we dig into some of the details on uh, Operation Neptune Spear, the hunt and capture and killing of Osama bin Laden. Will, welcome back on uh, for your part two, Electric Boogaloo. I know there's gonna be some friends cringing over me saying that, because that's my go-to joke, especially my sound guy, Danny Canetti, he hates it. So hi, Danny. Getting into Operation Neptune Spear. Um, part one, I did not want to rush you. And because this this story is is one of the is about the greatest manhunt in U.S. history, one of the most wanted people in our history, and there's all kinds of stories about it. And and this is coming from somebody that actually had boots on the ground and the preparation leading up to it. You've been on several missions in your career. Um, you know, I, I listened to your, your participation about this in your book, No Ordinary Dog, uh, about you and Cairo. Uh, whenever your team first found out this is the mission you were going on, how did, how did that go and what went through your head? It was, um, no, we were busy. I was busy th- all throughout my career. I mean, the preparation never stopped. We were, I was very fortunate. I worked hard to get where I was, but when I was there, we just, it would, the work was nonstop, and um, I was young. I was in my late twenties, and that was my entire life. I was in. I was all in. I, I had nothing else going on. Um, that's all I wanted to do. I mean, this, this was my family. I was just. I had one of the best jobs in the whole world. I show up to work every day with the people that I love and get to do do cool stuff. Like, what are we doing today? Skydiving, shooting, blowing stuff up, and going overseas and getting rid of bad people. I'm like, cool. I didn't have anything else. Had my family back home in Texas and maybe a girlfriend, but um, that that was my life. So, 
everything was pretty much the same. I mean, when the, when we got the news, it was just like, oh, wow, this is, uh, this is cool. Like we didn't know, you didn't never expect it. You just kind of keep doing your job. You're there doing great work anyway. So I was happy with where I was. I was happy with the people that was around, but, um, it was definitely a surprise to hear that. And then things got a little bit more real. I mean, it was all the same stuff. I was there with the same people that I've been working with doing the same exact thing. Just who we were going after happened to be a little bit different. Well, well it had to feel different. I mean, I, I, but you guys are trained so well and, and you've been on so many other missions. And, and I remember in your book, one thing that stood out is you saying that it was just, it was another mission. The target was just different. And so, you said, you said the mission went, relatively smooth i mean yeah i the guys i was working with i just can't give them enough credit it's the helicopter crashed on the way in and those guys not only just went from not only just our guys but the helicopter pilots and the intel people they're all just crushed it they're going from a helicopter crash where you almost die not only the pilot just save your ass the guys on the bird use it to their advantage like who cares we just died now this just worked out in our favor it's just crazy to be around such the caliber of people was just, I mean, you had to earn your job every day when you were there, because if not, you just won't be there long. It's, um, it was an honor to be able to serve with such great people. How quickly did you know your involvement and your and Cairo's involvement in, in that mission? Immediately. I mean, the only reason I was there was because I was a dog guy. I'm not to downgrade myself, but I'm compared to some of the guys on that team. I'm, I'm nobody. You're around the best people in the world. Um, not to beat a dead horse, it just is what it is. I'm just trying to be full disclosure. Um, the only reason I was chosen for that mission was because of Cairo. <laughs> uh, I was easily replaceable. Some of the dogs aren't. Um, you got to fight for that job every day. Like if not, there's somebody else, trust me, that wants that job. And especially after that mission, anybody would have taken my heart, my place in a heartbeat. No doubt about it. Nobody had to participate. We thought we were going to not make it back. We made sure our life insurance policies were filled out because we really didn't think. We thought something would happen. One of the helicopters is going to get shot down. The house is going to blow up. I mean, we're going into Pakistan. It's like something bad is going to happen. It always does. Um, And one of the helicopters did go down. But just luckily everybody was a little bit prepared, so they pulled through and saved it. So that I'm just trying to put myself there kind of mentally um it almost seems like like 9-11 like i i know i think everybody in this room knows exactly where they were what they were doing when 9-11 happened um i i could only imagine but i but i do kind of try to understand how many ops you know like like in swat it's another bp you know another call out um but do you remember where you were what were you were doing when you got the phone i'm assuming it was a phone call that said, hey, we're going after bin Laden. And we didn't come over the phone. There was a, we were always getting spun up on things. I didn't really get my hopes up. It's, uh, okay. We were really busy. So you're always on call. Well, not always. There's certain times, but we were all, um, it happened quite a bit. I was very fortunate in my career. I'm not just saying that. We were always spinning up on something. Something's always happening. And on this one, it was just another, hey, something's happening. And I'm like, cool. I'm 28. I got nothing else going on, bro. What are we doing? Like, I don't even right. care if it doesn't work out because usually it doesn't. Let's just go and have fun. I'm going to be hanging out with you guys anyways. Like we're going to be doing this, the same training. It was just like, if this thing happens to work out, like, I don't care what it is. Like, even if we go die, like, cool. I'm like, I'm around the the people that I care about. The difference in this one was on some of the previous ops. I don't, I don't guess you checked and make sure your life, there was a high expectation that, which um, I should probably, but this one just, uh, yeah, a high expectation that you may not come back home. (laughs) Yeah, on this one for sure the, but i mean that was i should kind of wild you know yeah <laughs> it's pretty wild to, for some of the listeners and us to try to comprehend that is, but i definitely should have made sure my life insurance i mean i've been in a couple of hbids where the whole house was i mean maybe i was in one and one we just had luckily great leadership that didn't allow us to go in because they were smart enough to blow up the building before we had to make entry and the one previous to that the dog saved our ass and told us that the whole house was rigged to blow so you're always in a shitty circumstance where something's going to happen and helicopters get shot down. Unfortunately, we've, we've definitely learned that lesson. Um, but on this one, yeah, that was, it was definitely a little different. It was, I remember being in the room when they told us who we were going after and I'll never forget that moment for sure. So I get exactly what you're saying, but just don't let it go to your head. I mean, even on the helicopter ride there, 
I was trying to go to sleep just like every other mission. I'm just trying to like guys have their routines their reading or their, I was listening to music and just try, if I got tired, just go to sleep. Don't overthink things because do you know what song was playing on the way in on the, on the way was, in and on the way out. On the way in, it was Money Talks by ACDC. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and on the way out, it was it was a great It's a Great Day to Be Alive by Travis Tritt. And that was, uh, so me and Falco, we were, I would always listen to that song on the way home after the missions, and I couldn't listen to it forever after he died. And it was, uh, I mean, it had been a while. And that was pretty fitting on the way home. That song came on again, sure, and I was like, yeah. okay. That was the first time I'd listened to it on in a long time so yeah that was like me and falco's little song we just listened to you yeah. it so, sounded like the perfect time yeah so did you get your affairs did did you get your affairs lined up prior to finding out you were getting ready to hit ubl or oh yeah i definitely did so couldn't tell my family i mean it was just my mom and my dad my grandparents were around too but um i don't think they had passed yet i just kind of kept every i never told anybody anything really i would just kind of let them know I was going on a trip on when I would, when I deployed. And on this one, I definitely couldn't say anything. I would just say, I'm going on a trip. And I didn't tell my mom any things. I didn't want her to worry. And I didn't want her to worry my grandparents. And on my, with my dad, I just kind of, I let him know that I might not be coming back on this one. But was this prior to knowing what you were getting ready to go do? No, okay. this was this after I found out. Yeah, this okay. was after uh, I found out. Other than that, I just never said anything. Sometimes yeah. I wouldn't even tell him I was going on deployment, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I just don't. The job was dangerous enough. I did. I just left them out of the loop yeah. on a lot of things because why? Why worry them when it's it's going to happen? If it's going to happen, it's, it is what it is. You know, no need to stress them out. Yeah. What made you made you want to tell them about this one that stood out? I mean, at the target because I really didn't think we were going to make it home. Really? Oh yeah. I, I really thought we were dead. I mean, I just accepted it. I guess. Like this is totally worth it. Hundred percent. Let's go do this. Right. Even if we get shot down on the way home, like that's. I figured the house would be rigged to blow. So, I, figured, I mean, we'd already been in a couple of HBIDs, so it's not that uncommon. Suicide vests were all the time. So that's definitely going to fucking happen. And the fact that we're probably going to get shot down after we kill this turd is, yeah, that seems pretty. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but. Seem likely. Yeah, that seems like a pretty solid assumption. So I just accept it. It was totally worth it. As long as we kill him, like, we're, we're good. Let's get it done. And we did. And after that, I mean, it's in God's hands. So it is what it is. Let's just get it done. Up to this, well, extortion was post this, correct? It was yeah August of the same year. Yeah, I used to always think I, I, I my mindset is switched, but I always wish I just died after the Bin Laden mission because, yeah. Well, I guess I not to bring that. I'm just trying to remember the timeline on that because that would be an anticipative thought. You know, you up to that point, you guys, that's the most you've lost. In one given incident, you talked about getting shot down, so that's just something I was just curious. Yeah, it goes from the, the timeline. highest point in my career to killing Bin Laden to the lowest point in my life. And not only did we have extortion happen where we lost really good guys, um, I lost my best friend Nick Check too. So it was uh, it was the point of the most important thing I've ever done in my life. To my hair's falling out from stress and I'm dying. For Operation Neptune Spear, what, how long did the planning take for that as far as the training and uh, the rehearsals and the scenarios? It's hard for me to remember off the top of my head and I got some memory issues, but it was we were training for a good month or two. Oh, uh, it's, it's probably in some books somewhere. I think it might be in my book or Rob's book or somebody's book, but we were training for a good a good amount of time. And you had, you obviously y'all tried to train for every scenario you could yeah. think of. We went through a few contingencies. Yeah, and the yeah. one, like Murphy's Law, definitely kicked in. The one thing that we didn't plan for happened. But luckily, just, <laughs> I say it again, just everybody's such a badass. From the intel people, to the helicopter pilots, like, the one thing we didn't plan for, who gives a shit? Those guys are so awesome that they used it to their advantage. And the helicopter pilot is like, dude, I'll fly that helicopter out of here. <laughs> like, yes, we believe you, but, like, it's just working with the best in the world, like, Going from a near-death experience to killing Bin Laden in a heartbeat, like just, yeah. Are you able to elaborate on how they used the downed helicopter to their advantage? Because I, I just can't figure that out. It crashed in the courtyard, and we they were supposed to breach a door that had been bricked off. So the door that they breached, they were not allowed entry in because there's bricks. And then uh, when they were going to make their second breach point, 
since the helicopter crashed in the courtyard, the guys that had crashed, this didn't skip a beat. They waited for the rotors to die down or whatever, jumped off, opened the gate up, and like, hey, we're good. You don't need to breach. We're in. Wow. Wow. Did so, you did you see the did you see the helicopter? Helo- you didn't see we it. We saw it when we came around the corner. I'm like, oh hey, look, he's got a helicopter like ours in the yard. I'm just kidding, but yeah, right. <laughs> hey, look at that. He's got a oh shit. We didn't like things were happening so fast that we sure. didn't hear it over comms. And I looked at my guy, my swim buddy that I was with, and he didn't hear it. And I'm like, oh shit. Like uh, a little bit of panic, but we figured if people were dead that that would have came over it was just things were happening so fast that it's like all right did y'all have intel that the primary breach point was was not going to be able to be breached no they just so y'all f- they figured even that the out. guys that were going to go breach the gate they opened it up before i mean just things were happening so quick yeah. we were we were on our first lap i think when we saw it. it was just we only had a certain amount of time to get in and out of there and guys don't fuck around sure everything was going to them quick you got to get in and out or they're coming for us so that's cool yeah that's so when you rounded the corner and you saw the, the helo down, other than just saying, holy shit. It was like a heart skips a beat for a minute. And like, hopefully the call doesn't come over the radio that anybody's injured. But right, we figured everybody was okay. I mean, still like, still, I still remember being very nervous, but of course, obviously there was no explosion. We didn't even hear the helicopter go down. So those pilots are so badass. The guy, they lost lift and he saved it. And landed that thing. It just happened to hit the tail on the wall. And that guy's so awesome. He's like, dude, I'll fly that thing out of here. I'm like, yeah, we believe you. 100% we believe you, but we'll just not take the chance. We're going to do this. Yeah. Today. Those guys are awesome. We don't doubt you, but we're going to do this. Yep. So when you're all around, you see that. Can you describe that further, what what uh, what you did? Yeah, my job, my job that night was to do external security with a swim buddy in Cairo. Like I said, we were just expecting there to be some sort of explosives where it's a suicide vest. I figured the whole house would be rigged to blow. I figured there'd be some sort of escape tunnel. There'd be some sort of hidden room. But at the end of the day, he just died like a coward, pushing the women out in front. And um, our job that night was to do sweeps of the external, do external sweeps looking for the, like I said, a tunnel system or any sort of explosive odor. I'm just looking for a change of behavior in Cairo. So once I did a couple laps with my swim buddy, we were both like, all right, we don't see anything. I made my way to the inside and just did, I was just looking for explosives until if, unless I got the call up to, I figured that I I figured I would get a call to send Cairo in. They probably breach. I figured they'd find a a hidden room somewhere where he was hiding and we'll probably blow the hole in the wall and send Cairo in to get him or something like that. But until then, I figured there would be some sort of explosives. So all I was doing was just, it's hard once your dog gets on a bite to get him back into explosive odor. So my job was to just keep him away from, I mean, there was, there was bad people obviously there. Some people got shot. Even some women were fighting. And my job was just to keep him away from the bodies and have him focus on explosives. So he didn't bite at the, that point going through? No, he I was trying to keep him away from the okay. bodies. He actually did end up getting the kid in the stairwell, but... Mm-hmm. It's fine. You just got to keep him off of that. It, it was, it is what it is. I can't, I can only pick him up so much and keep him off of it. And he ended up just getting, he engaged him on the stairwell. So it's my job to get him back onto explosive odor, but it's hard. It just takes a second. So that's what he's trained in. He's trained in both, but he's, he's still, in, he's still aggressive and he's in, he's in attack mode. Uh, how hard is it? How hard it is to reset after get off bite? To it's try, hard. It is hard. It depends. Every dog's different. Um, but it's definitely, they want to fight and especially the more seasoned the dog is, the harder it can be. They just there to fight. Like, what do you want me to get in a, a fist fight with a guy or you're going to give me a tennis ball for, yeah, right. Like I, yeah, they want to do the fun they stuff. They want to do the fun stuff. Yeah. Going through the house. Can you describe what you saw? It, yeah. When we made our way into the primary entry. Just remembered there's a, uh, there's a bunch of glass everywhere from breaching. They had gates up where they were blocking off the stairwell so uh i just remember having to pick cairo up to not only get him around some bodies but also just keep him out of the glass so his feet doesn't get cut up and i would just made my way to the first room let him search in the first room looking for a change then we just pick him up over the glass and the bodies go to the second room just watch him we made our way up to the second floor um just trying to stay tactical and use my dog to the, the best of his advantages i could and once we got to the second floor, uh, I remember running into Rob 
and we're busy. Like I said, we were moving quick, and I'm sitting there watching Kyra. I, I let him off off leash because he worked better off leash, and that's how he ended up getting Bin Laden's son on the stairwell because he was off leash, and you gotta you gotta watch him. They're quick, and but he works better on on explosive odor off leash. And I'm just I remember letting him just do his thing around the room, and Rob was in there too. I remember Rob looking at me and goes, I think I just shot that motherfucker in the face. And I knew exactly who he was talking about. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. It's like, great. I'm like, that gives me happy a little bit, but I'm working. I'm watching Cairo. I'm, I'm looking for any little change. I'm, I'm looking for explosives. So I'm like, cool, man. And not too long after he said that, the the call came over the radio or his Geronimo, Geronimo, which means we, we accomplished the mission. And then it was, that was when it was real. That was another moment in my life I'll never forget. Like, not that I didn't believe Rob, but... Right. I don't have time to sit here and talk with you. Cool, thanks. I appreciate the update, but I, we're working. And he was working too. He just happened to say something while we're both doing our our thing. But once it came over the radio, it was official. It was 100%. And so that's when I was like, okay. And it's the first time I've ever done this, but we actually gave Rob a high five on target. It ended up being just perfect timing to where he's like, I think I just shot that motherfucker in the face. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Watching him, watching him. And he comes over the radio, like Geronimo. And I'm like, I look at him. I'm like, yeah. So that was the only time I've ever done that. <laughs> I can't imagine. I just yeah. can't imagine that yeah, me neither. That scene. Well, it's a moment I'll never forget. Well, you're in the middle of it, and you're also still, it's an active scene. Y'all need, at that point, to wrap it up and get the hell out of there. And we stay, still had and a stay alive. It was yeah. one quick, like, look at him, like, holy shit, you weren't lying. High five, and, like, right back into working Cairo. And he was right back to doing his thing, looking for whatever he's looking for. And at that point, collecting all the any evidence that you can grab and get out of there safely. Uh, were you a part of that? Yeah, I was mostly just still looking for explosives. Okay. I, I really thought there would be something. And there was none. There was some, there were some things, Okay, but um, okay. nothing that put us in danger. Nothing that Cairo triggered on to where we needed to get out of there. I think the finite point that most people, unless you've performed any operations and not to compare you know, ours to, to yours, but all of us formal SWAT individuals know that even once you've wrapped up whatever it may have been, a hazardous warrant, a hostage rescue, or a, or a BP, you know, there's still a job to be done regardless, you know. There's the height of it, and then there's the cleanup of it, you know, for you guys gathering intel, but you're still actively searching for any type of explosive that could be rigged somewhere oh, yeah. safe travels safe passageway for everybody to get out and then on top of that the stressors of y'all having the entire village or compound start compiling on top of you along with alerting neighboring areas that hey this is going on and so on and so forth and i think that's probably you know a piece that most people unless they're ever involved in it just don't realize that you know those jobs are never done until you you know for us we would get back to the station do a debrief job's done yeah, no, you I've know. never done that before. It yeah. just happened to work out to where I would never thought I would do that. But he just happened to be right beside me right when the call came over, right after he said that. And it just happened to be, yeah. I wasn't going to stop my job to go give you a high five, bro. It's not what we're here for. It just happened to be perfect timing. And it felt even feels weird saying it these days because we just don't do that. I've shot people with Rob before. Like literally we've killed people together and we don't, we don't ever don't do dab that. Dab it up. You don't dab <laughs> yeah. it up. You just do it. And then it's your job and right. you're not there to celebrate. But that was a. Once the call came over the radio, and like I said, I figured we would die. Like, even if we get shot down on the way home, that call came over the radio, and I knew the head shed, they don't fuck around. Like, they're not going to say that unless it's done, and it was done. I can die now. We're good. Right. Solid. Wow. But it's the mindset you have to maintain, I guess, is what I'm talking about. You know, regardless of that, you know, you guys are still actively doing a job. You know, it's a celebration. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's I mean, a pretty big yeah. deal. <laughs> you know, and uh, but it's like, hey, then your minds go snap right back into right back work. Into you're, I mean, it's like a moment, just a fraction in time, but you're still actively working as you do that. And I don't think most people understand that, hey, this, you know, these things aren't over until you guys are probably boots on the ground back at your place, right? I mean, you're, I thought you're I never was safe. Dead until we, when I remember, so there's certain moments I remember the call getting, I'll never forget that. I remember when they told us who we were going after. I remember when the call came over. I remember we were going to die until we landed and I walked into the hangar. And I looked around and everybody was good. And I was like, holy fuck. Then, then it was all like, hit you. I was like, all right, we actually pulled that off. And some guys actually got fragged. There was a, there was a firefight with the turd on the, on the extra building that guys never talk about. That and, and, and going, I, I want to go back just a little bit and we might even have to delete or edit this out. Um, and I get it will. So by all means, just tell me to be quiet. 
what kind of was there an actual gunfight with bin laden what what was that actual confrontation when they made contact with with osama bin laden see i can't say for for sure all i know is they shot him in the face and he died like a coward pushing the women out in front see that's what what they say that's what you know the rumors out there that he was hiding behind women and children and all that i just i didn't know if there was any truth to that one of the guys doesn't come out is was one of the most heroic things is um when the women came running out i've had a pretty in-depth conversation with him he's like i 100 percent we had been talking about suicide. We've been so many suicide vests that I was reminding him of suicide vests that he had forgotten about. And he just knew he'd been around him so much that he's like, as soon as I grabbed those chicks and he threw himself into the corner, he's like, I thought I was like, I was just waiting for it. And we've like, we've been in the HBIDs before where you're just waiting for that. You're just tensing your body and you're just waiting for that explosion. And he says, I I knew exactly where he was coming from. He's just like, no hesitation. Bin Laden pushed the women out first and, there's all kinds of different stories out there and I can't say for sure what happened, but I'm the guy who grabbed those women did his job very well and Absolutely. he deserves sure. a lot of credit and he was going to sacrifice. There's some very heroic stuff that happened, not only with Rob, but with everybody that was in the compound at the time. The whole thing, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. The team. Yeah. The even team. the pilots, even the Intel people, uh, everybody that helped put it all together is some just amazing stuff. I mean, pulled it off. Did you uh, want to talk about any of the uh, resistance? I mean, we, we breached, made entry. Um, Cairo did some work, got a, got his licks in on the stairwell. Um, were there any any other peripheral gunfights uh, that you would care to talk about? And so there's some heroic stuff. It's not my really place to say I wasn't part of the gunfights that night. I just kind of can tell a little bit about what I know and Mine and Cairo's job was pretty insignificant that night. Cairo had more was rule and than I, I was just there to babysit. And, and just for the listeners, um, we're sitting here face to face with this guy, and it's kind of you, you almost get chill bumps because you're because you're you know I'm five feet away from him. Um, if you guys ever get a chance, you, you need to shake hands with this dude. Um, it's kind of humbling hearing it and being in his presence, and you know he. There's all, all kind of details that are hard to get into, and so if y'all ever get a chance, uh, you need to meet this guy for sure. Just yeah. felt the need to say that because the, the story being told. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm nobody special, man. I came from a trailer park in southeast right. Texas, and I don't like talking about myself. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, I'm absolutely. lucky I get to talk about Cairo, sure. and I get to talk about all the other guys that don't talk. And I usually, I used to be the person that don't talk, that don't, that didn't say anything. And um, I just, uh, I want to tell Cairo's story. And I, I'll talk about the guys that did actually do something, and because uh, they don't, they won't say anything, and the dogs can't say anything. So I'm nobody special. I just happen to be lucky. I worked my ass off, and I got to be around a bunch of great dudes, and got to do some cool things. We never touched on this, so Cairo made a full recovery. Obviously, what was that like? I was worried. Yeah, he got shot before the Bin Laden mission, and um, I handed him off to some some good teammates of mine that dropped him off at Lackland and shout out to them for rehabbing him. I wasn't sure what I was going to get when we got back home, if he was going to be skittish around gunfire or have a limp where he couldn't work anymore, but they got him back up and running a hundred percent. Like the only time I saw any issues were after he got him, after we got him retired, he was shot through his leg. So I could saw, I could see a little hitch in his step when he, he would start limping a little bit after throwing the ball for a while. And he was just getting older too. And then, uh, finally started to see some signs of PTSD when thunderstorms, he would freak out. He actually pissed in his bed once. It was weird. Like just never seen him act like that before. There's some thunderstorms. He would try to hide under us and hide under the pillows. And then he actually one time, and I don't know if it was the cancer, or just the end of his life or whatever happened. He never seen him act like that. I mean, it was Cairo. He's been in gunfights. He's been shot. He's been in pretty cool shit. And I guess dogs can get PTSD too. It was a little weird. But I was glad I was able to take care of him. You're a very humble and very humble individual, uh, and obviously that's a admirable quality. But you weren't just like picked out of the air to go on this mission. Uh, you don't give yourself that credit, or you're not doing it right now. But the credit is definitely on you and that dog. And that's I think the great thing about your book is that's your 
your your main goal. You know, when I met you back in November, that was one of the things you said. You that was the whole point premise of this was to tell his story. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do about that dog. And uh, but you weren't just you know just picked from the whim on this on this mission. You know that dog was an extraordinary dog. But as we've already stated, you know it takes an extraordinary individual to handle that animal and create that animal to become what it is. Uh, yeah, they're they're born. They're genetic. Uh, and, and he was no ordinary dog, but you're really no ordinary operator either or a dog handler on, yeah, on that note. You I know? don't say that to downplay myself. I'm just yeah. trying to keep it as, as real as possible. I let my ego get out of control in the past, and I'm just trying to keep it as, as real as I can. Like yeah. I worked my ass off. I pushed my body to its limits, and I I did everything that I possibly could to keep that job. But I'm not shit compared to some of those guys. Yeah, I'm just sh- trying to be as real as possible, and they'll no, never say anything. Yeah. I'm just I'm here to say it for them. Yeah. yeah. And you are too, though. That's what I'm saying. You know, you, the things you did with this animal and the places you've been and what you've done. Yeah, it's again, you very humble individual. But, and I know you're not downplaying yourself, but it's just, man, it's it's incredible. And uh, you know, you you do deserve a pat on the back. You know, whether you want it or not, you're gonna get it. You know, it's a, uh, it's not easy to have one of those dogs. You know, and just like you mentioned, you know, it's it's no longer you're going to work. I mean, that's a damn lifestyle. That dog is attached to you. Just like you said in your book, you know, at the hip, you know, at, at times, literally, you know, as you guys exfil from aircraft and all that, or go into these operations. So man, I just, my, my hat's off to you on that. Yeah. You came to the wrong room if you didn't want to get pats on the back from (laughs) us. Cause we were very honored to be here. I appreciate it. I'm I'm just trying to be as honest as I can. I'm getting all kinds of texts from people asking, Hey, how's it going? I said, we're still in the middle of this shit. So you, y'all decided to buy, blow the uh, the Black Hawk and get out of there, and then y'all went to a base. And I'm getting this. I'm getting this from your book, um, No Ordinary Dog. When you can you describe the scene when Doctor McRaven was examining the body and where you were, what you were doing? Yeah, I don't think I was over there for that. I just heard about it afterwards about how he had the guy lay down beside him, mm-hmm. one of the taller guys. Yeah, there. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I remember going over there, looking at him and seeing his face, <laughs> his canoed head split open just to get a look at the body. And it was, uh, it's another thing I'll never forget. But And then later on, uh, President Obama came out and gave a press conference uh, yeah. about that. And can that you describe cool. what, you, what you were doing at that moment? Yeah, I was surrounded by a bunch of awesome dudes after we just killed that turd. And his body's over there while the president's addressing the nation. It was a... Uh, <laughs> Wow. It's like, oh wow, this wow. is really happening. That's that a, that's get a, more that's surreal. Crazy. Yeah, it's, oh, a, man. it's a pretty good feeling. Yeah, I can tell you too. Uh, just from a personal note, I still remember. I don't know you guys do too. From back on, home on this side of the world, uh, man, it was like a it was like a party, dude. I mean, it was it, cool it was, to see the country come together like and that. It was, and that's exactly what I was going to hit on. I was yep. like, man, you could not separate anybody in this nation at that point in time there are people celebrating that 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 hate this country they're celebrating just the fact that of the accomplishment that you guys had achieved and it was like man it was great just seeing that and it it was like that you know for quite some time i wish it would have lasted longer but it was really cool to see that it was it was awesome yep i remember what i was doing i was just watching finishing up an episode of 24 and then they broke in with that news (laughs) no it, it was i remember exactly i was sitting there watching it and i couldn't believe it because it had been so long. He was watching Sesame Street, we all know. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Well, I was watching that on my phone and watching 24. <laughs> you can multitask. Yeah. So I got a, a nerd question. Um, and I'm assuming in the teams you guys run different calibers, different weapon systems and platforms and, and everything you can imagine. But now, and again, this might be a little, you know, classified, but was was he shot with 5.56? It would be five five six. You know what grain? Some guys what, rent, what no, manufacturer? Not, all that good stuff. Whatever like guys a, preferred like at the time. Grain. Nah, yeah, some okay. guys rolling seven six two as well, but not everybody. Most guys roll five five six. Okay. I mean, there's plenty of other options to choose from as well. Yeah, there's all kind of other little ballistic nerds out there that oh, are yeah. just dying to know these. And I'm not details. a ballistic nerd at all. I was given the equipment I was given for free, and I just perfected my points of performance and my weapon and, system and, that I got. And what was that? If you don't, if you can answer. What's that? What was your primary weapon and your secondary? What was your rifle and your pistol? It all varied throughout my career. It was mostly 5.56, five, but I switched over to the MP7 for a while. And at sometimes I carried a pistol, and sometimes when I was carrying, I didn't carry a pistol when I was handling Cairo. I'd carry a tomahawk, but that is not Wait, saying that's what? the right decision. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. So now on pistol caliber, 9mm Glock, SIG? Yeah, I mean, you can go down to twenty two if you want, but whatever wow. floats your boat. 
Yeah. Whatever's, I mean, what's the situation? Are you sure. are you going on a ship takedown? Are you in? You want to keep it quiet? Are you same thing with a rifle? You would choose your barrel length. Yes. Regarding what mission? Everything. So what on, on this uh, Neptune Spear? What was your kit? I had my H and K four sixteen. So it was five five six, and I don't know if I had a pistol or not. Definitely looking back now, I, I would have carried the pistol. Always keeping the higher caliber in the pistol for sure. Just had to know. Sorry. No, no, I love it. I always counted on my teammates, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to put you in a bad situation. Sure. Yeah. After this is all over, I know that uh, I know everybody. People got awards. Uh, can you describe uh, when the president and the vice president wanted to meet Cairo? Yeah, it was cool. It was an honor to get to meet him, and I mean, it was such a surreal experience in the, just to begin with, and then yeah, it was just awesome. Having to meet him, and I muzzled Cairo up for sure because I would hate for him to bite the president. Cairo was such <laughs> yeah. a good dog, but that one time I don't muzzle him. I, I I totally didn't have to. Like he would have been completely fine, but it's just that one slight chance that he nips the president. Or, oh my god, I just can't. I should have looking back now because I was already done with my career. I, like I said, I wish I would have just died after the Bin Laden mission. Not these days, but just everything that happened afterwards. I'm like, I should have just said, "Fuck it, who cares if I get fired." Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't want the president to get bit, but Cairo is Cairo. He, he He's such a good dog that he would have been just fine. But, yeah, we put the muzzle on him just in case because he probably wouldn't have been too happy. Now, dealing with the weight of all this and all of your experiences, how did you cope? Uh, the dog's definitely getting Cairo retired, and um, that was a big a big help I had my girlfriend Natalie at the time as my fiance now is definitely huge. Um, just the people, my leadership was very understanding and as much as they could be, I guess not, not all leadership, certain leadership sucks, but I definitely had leaders directly above me that were just outstanding. Um, did everything that they possibly could to help me. Um, like I said, the dog getting Cairo had another dog hanging at the time. She was, um, very important to me and, yeah, just having that, getting to take care of Cairo towards the end of his life gave me purpose. And then once he passed, my dogs just, I don't know, if you're a dog person, you can understand, just dogs can get you through some pretty tough times. They like dogs better than people sometimes. You kind of touched on some of it. I didn't mean to bring it up earlier with loss of your buddies, and friends, and teammates. But uh, I know you, you suffered a... Uh, I don't know the right terminology for it. A grenade blew up, and uh, and then um, you suffered from a TBI, correct? I did, yeah. Okay. Um, which, between that and the losing of friends and compound stress, it set you on a, a path that is not uncommon for man, whether it be, or, or woman, whether it be a first responder or military vet, uh, it's something that's very commonly seen, especially the TBIs in y'all's field, and especially with all the breaching and the constant concussions and blasts and so on and so forth. You guys are around so much that you touched on some of it as far as where your resiliency came from. You touched on your fiance. I know the dog was a very big part of it. I know you mentioned that in your book when you were talking about, you know, in your worst days you could go out there and play with Cairo, and that seemed to kind of subtle the headaches and the other issues. And I know you suffered from from a lot of pain but you also didn't really touch into a lot of it but a lot of it being your resiliency and the healing process can you touch on some of that as far as how you coped with everything beyond whether it be the alcohol or whatever it may be but now where you're at today because I'm sure today you're a very different individual than you were then and you've you've even mentioned it today you know you don't wish you would have died after that you know you're you're obviously enjoy your life and have found purpose and know that and so on and so forth. I'm rambling on that, but can you touch on those yeah, pieces? It's a, it's a, it's a long question. I'll try not to ramble as well, but let's just, just go over the whole did, gist did, of it. It's your job to ramble. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. Yeah. After the bin Laden mission, as things kind of went downhill, I had some, we, we had extortion happen. That was a big, so when people say PTSD, like that's what I, the loss of my friends definitely affected my hair fell out. And like I, um, uh, all I wanted to do was work. That's it. That's all I ever wanted to do. And just things weren't, my, my brain, I mean, I took everything in me to get to where I was. And I had to fight really hard to keep it. But eventually, 
with the loss of friends and the alcohol and the brain injury, it just, the wheels fell off and I just couldn't do the job anymore. And it all just went from that pinnacle in my career. And I'm not, not saying I wasn't drinking before then because we were always partying, having fun and hanging out with the friends and building that camaraderie. But eventually, I mean, I've lost people before the helicopter crash, before extortion, I lost Clark, Clark Schwedler and other guys as well. There's other helicopter crashes that's, that's happened and at a certain point, I guess it turned from every time I drank, there was no more partying and having fun with my friends. It was all just to cope with the loss. I was drinking myself to sleep every night, just looking at friends on my computer. So that's a pretty big difference than going out, having fun and building that camaraderie. So going from the Bin Laden mission to extortion and then losing my best friend, Nick, and then the brain injury on top of that. And then all the booze I was putting on top of that. And I got blown up in 2012 by hand grenade. So I had some alcohol incidents. My um, my head shed sent me to a couple of rehab programs. I was trying to get back at it. I just wasn't dealing with the loss very well. I finally made my way back to my team and ended up getting blown up on my first mission back by a hand grenade. And that was pretty much the end of my career. That was my last mission. Um, Can you describe your injuries on that explosion? It was mostly like a force gump wound. I took the brunt of it in my ass. <laughs> so I got two force gump wounds in each cheek and then it went through my hand. Yeah. Luckily, I got a big ass, so I absorbed it pretty well. <laughs> you really don't have a big ass. Did you get ice cream? Yeah. Yes, we, we, of we, course. We, Lieutenant we, Diane, yeah. ice really cream. Something ass. bit me. That's it. But uh, it hit me in my eye right here in between my eyes and just kind of stopped on the side of my skull. So if I was leaning forward an inch or whatever, it would have hit me in the temple. And that probably it might have been the end of it. At least it would have lost my eyesight, I'm assuming. So I was very lucky. The other two guys that got injured with me, there was more guys that actually got injured. They just don't say much, but there was two guys that for sure got hit. One guy was charred up pretty bad, and he's got his he's got his issues. I hope he's doing well. I haven't talked to him in a while, but I think he was closest to the grenade because he got charred. Mine was just big fragments in my ass, and then another guy got hit a little bit in his chest. And All in all, considering everybody survived, so things could have turned out much worse. And I'm glad I didn't have Cairo with me that night because I don't think he would have made it. Now, so, was that a hand-thrown grenade? Yeah, we were at a at a compound. They figured out we were there. I was supposed to wait. I was um, supposed to, me and my friend were going to go and take the high ground of this other building. And I was waiting for him to help carry the ladder. And as I'm sucked up, we were in a little tight spot along the side of the house. I'm sucked up against the wall. I was going to wait for him to help him. Guys were going past me that were assaulting the main building we were at where everybody was, the the main group of bad guys one of my friends stops and he starts shooting up directly the second story window. So I'm like, all right, shit. They obviously, yeah, we're, they, he's shooting at somebody. And uh, as soon as he stopped, I didn't want to bump him to throw off a shot. So he stopped shooting. I, I jumped out of the little small space we're in over this ditch through this tree line into the open field where I can get a better advantage on the second story window. It's my first stop back. I'm like, yeah, I don't have the dog. I don't have to babysit the dog. I get to shoot some bad people. I was pretty happy. And it was a pretty good like we knew there was bad guys up there. I mean, my buddy's shooting at somebody. So I'm like, come on, stick your head up. And then all of a sudden things just get a little fuzzy. I remember just being like, all right, I'm going to shoot this guy and just stick your head up, stick your head up. And then I thought I had fired a couple rounds off, but looking at the footage later, I didn't. And I don't know. Things just get a little fuzzy. I, somebody threw a grenade out the second story window and it blew up behind me and didn't knock me out, but it knocked me forward. I remember kind of being on my hands and knees and I thought I'd, I thought I'd shot afterwards, but thinking that my head was, I was just not in the right mental space to where I'm shooting. My teammates were still over there, either on the roof or along the side of the building. And I'm just not mentally there to where I should be shooting back towards my guys. And I remember that kind of going through my mind. Everything's just a little fuzzy and vague. And I kind of wandered off to the right, but in a very bad situation still I just kind of came to and realized like, okay, Hey, this is not good. I'm still going to get shot sitting in this. So it finally just, I got rocked, stood up, wandered over here for a second. And then things seemed to kind of kick back into place where I'm like, all right, I need to get back over to the side of the building. I remember walking over there and I didn't want to say anything. I was obviously hit. I just didn't want to say anything because I was kind of disappointed in myself. But one of my other teammates is like, I'm hit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm hit too, as long as you say it first. <laughs> and then uh, 
next thing you know, I'm face down, ass up with my pants down along the side of a building with a bunch of terrorists in it, getting my ass checked out, my Forrest Gump wounds. And I remember my face was bleeding and yeah, that's weird. So that happened. That's a great party. That's my song. I don't always high five people on target. I don't always pull down my pants with my ass out. So, you know, that's a first. Only Will Chesney. All right. So that doesn't happen every night. And I remember my face was bleeding and I know it felt like somebody hit me in the back with a baseball bat. Like I had a through and through in my hand. Didn't even know about that till later. And you've got rifle rated plate carrier on. Oh yeah. And my back. And a helmet. And a helmet. Oh, a helmet. Yeah. And my back was like somebody hit me in the lower back with a baseball bat. Like that's where I knew I was hit. And uh, my face was bleeding. So I'm like, well, I knew it blew up behind me because my back hurts. And why is the front of my face bleeding? So in my mind, I was rocked pretty good. It didn't knock me out, but I was feeling it. So I figured the shrapnel had went through my head and out out my face, and I was bleeding. So I just have I kept having the medic like, "Hey man, are you sure my face is good? Like check check the back of my head, and there's no entrance wounds in the anyways." He was like, "Dude, you're fine. Your ass took most of it, and your big ass is just fine." He's trying to keep me calm, and it was fine. I was uh, we got back. They they called the exfil force, the Kazavak, and we got back to base. Everybody was good. We all got surgery and. That was it, and um, well, that wasn't it because the that was pretty much the end of my career. I mean, that was the, the beginning. That of was the end of it, man. My hair had already fallen out twice from stress. My fingernails had fallen out, and it was after the after the helicopter scra- crash and after losing Nick. Um, it's not hard not hard to figure out why my hair was falling out, you know. Mm-hmm. And then with the heli- the I mean the grenade injury, that was uh, the migraines really started kicking in. And I think that was a lot to do with stress, but I don't think that helped, obviously. The migraines were getting really bad. Um, I think there were stress-induced migraines. and The TBI was there. Lots of grenades, lots of rockets, lots of breaching, lots of gunfire, lots of skydiving. I think all those little cumulative head injuries add up over time, and then you put booze, lots and lots of booze, like drinking myself to sleep, drinking a gallon of vodka every night trying to wow. crush the bottle every night. I mean, I wasn't, but I was trying. In, in yeah. order to get some sleep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just looking at pictures of my dead friends yeah. killing a gallon just until I pass out every night. So yeah. eventually, that be, it be, oh. until my leadership saw it and I was coming in trying to do house runs and I smelled like booze and not showing up. Like I've never not shown up. So the one time I didn't show up or showed up late, it was that's it like you just don't you don't do that that only that doesn't yeah, happen right so after that it was go to rehab for a few stints and try to get back at it and then i got blown up and then after that the migraines I, I it was very hard for me to sit down with my leadership and have a real talk with them but it's like hey man i can't do this it was, and that was after 13 years of service yeah. on the teams yeah i was a liability then i mean just with the migraines alone that's, i just that's just unbelievable it was hard it was hard to be like hey I can suck up this rehab stuff and I can get my shit together, but I can't deal with this memory stuff and these headaches. I'm going to kill. I'm going to get somebody killed. Will, what did you, what did you use to heal? I mean, let's, let's, you're beyond your, your rehab now. And, and you have this suffering that, like I said before, you're not the only one, right? There's a lot of people that are very similar in nature, especially in, in our line of work and your line of work. Uh, what did you, what did you do to heal? What did you lean on? What did you find your strengths? What did you do? So it was quite the process. After the grenade injury, the migraines came and the memory loss, and it just all started getting really bad. And kind of, I'm glad my hair fell out twice because if I didn't have those physical, I mean, I kind of thought I was going crazy. It's my brain that's messed up. So I'm like, am I just? I used to be a Navy SEAL. Like I used to be somebody I can suck up some pain. Like what is going on here? Like am I just being a pussy? Like. I'm glad my hair fell out so I could just know I'm not going crazy. Like those are physical signs. Like something is off. Cause if not, it's like, really, am I just making this up? Do I just not want to be here? Am I just being lazy? But if it's my brain that wasn't working and it was quite the process on getting out. And like I said, great leadership at the time, they sent me to the rehab program, trying that. They sent me to a place called NICO in Bethesda, Bethesda, Maryland to do, to see a whole panel of doctors and I tried the antidepressants. I tried the migraine medicines and I tried a whole bunch of different things there. Eventually it was just, I, I had to get out. I just needed to be away. I, I just needed to move on. Um, 
I was still drinking myself to death once I finally got out of the military. They medically retired me after about three years of trying to fix me. They did everything they possibly could. Once I figured out it just wasn't happening, I just needed to, if I'm not working as an operator, I just needed to step away. It's just not good for my mental well-being seeing all my best friends go to war and I'm just going to hang out here and be my mind doesn't work. It's yeah. great. This is not a good place for me to be in. So it's time to move on. But I just still wasn't in a good place. I was up to 250 pounds. I was drinking myself to death. I was fat. I was just, I was literally just drinking myself to death. It was only a matter of time. And one of my best friends, his name is Jared Shaw. He reached out to me to go to my first brain treatment place. It was a, through the Brain Treatment Foundation. Those people are awesome. And that was kind of like one of my first steps. And Bethesda was good, but the, I just didn't. The antidepressants and the, the migraine medicines were not working. What was working was the big shot of painkiller they were giving me to stop my migraines. But that was definitely not the healthiest option. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of them giving it to me and getting me through those times where I needed it. And even the alcohol, I mean, I was drinking a lot, but it was getting me through, through whatever it needed to get me through. But that wasn't the end all answer. Just shooting myself up with painkillers. Every time a migraine started, they were happening three or four times a week. That's no, it's no way to live your life. So the, the antidepressants weren't cutting it. The migraine stuff just wasn't cutting it. It was stress. I was just, my fight or flight, was just kicked into full, I mean, I was just on edge nonstop, and that, that stress, my hair had fallen out twice, my fingernails had fallen out, it was just 100% all the time, just can't turn it off, can't relax, um, so I went to the, the Brain Treatment Foundation. So, you kind of reminded me of when I first met, when I first met Will Chesney, had no idea who he was, so the first time I see him, I was like a surfer from California, I mean, he has his hair was probably longer than yours, Misty. I had to let it grow out when the five head was coming. My receding hairline was kicking in. (laughs) Super, super reserved, super quiet, you know. Um, And, you know, it's literally a campfire setting. You know, we're around the campfire, and I'm kind of nudging people next to me. Who's this crazy quiet dude over here? You know, am I going to be safe to sleep tonight? Uh, Very typical Matt Baines. (laughs) Don't sleep on your front. (laughs) And so so there was, you know, a little group of operators, and, and the stories start kind of slowly slipping out about two or three in the morning around the campfire and the bourbon. And, you know, I'm like, and, 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 and hearing him talk a little bit, he's not a big talker, you know. We've, we've done good at getting this stuff out of him. And then I start thinking, how do these people go from skydiving at, in early hours of the morning in the pitch darkness into these villages, carrying out these operations, going through this 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 mental physical training doing these type of operations and then boom you hit the wall bam grenade blows up traumatic brain injury alcoholism hey man thanks for your service uh go sell insurance you know and that's and i don't think the public has any idea of what that kind of transition would be like and we're talking it's not like you're like me like an old man getting close to 50 years old we're, we're talking about guys 32 30 35 you know, a 35-year-old seal is probably an old head that's still operating, I would assume. I mean, I was in my 30s, early 30s, and I thought I was going right. to die of a heart attack and my hair's falling out, and I really I was drinking myself to a heart attack. It's fat as shit. And, and, and when I met you, you were kind of in that transition. Yep. And that that was probably my first real dose of what I just said. How, how, do, you, how do these guys make that transformation? And, you know, there's a lot of people that are aware of that now. Yeah, as it should be. I mean, I used and, to be able to a lot of foundations and drive the vehicle, shoot out the window, drop some bombs, talk to my friend, and it was easy. And then right. it's all fun and games. Like nothing, everything just yeah. rolled off my back because I got a handle on it. My mind works. I can handle this shit. This is easy. I can suck up the pain. It's when my mind stopped working, when I'm literally going from one of the biggest missions ever. I mean, I got to be on the Captain Phillips mission. I got to do all kinds. That's nothing. That's, that's just two things out of hundreds and hundreds of other operations that we've done. I was like pretty solid on my mental capacity on opera. Mm-hmm. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I felt resilient, confident yeah, when sure. it came to shoot, moving and communicating and keeping up with these dudes is hard, but I, I can probably do it. And then once I couldn't even run a trip, I'm looking, I remember being at, when going through all my medical stuff, I'm looking at my friend and he's getting his black belt or he's getting his whatever purple brown belt in jujitsu. He has a family. He's running three trips. You're going to college. You're going to be a team leader. I'm like, holy fuck. Like you're doing, that used to be me. 
and I can't run one, one trip. Like, right. I can't run one fucking trip <laughs> without my migraine going, uh, man, yeah. And you're doing 15 things, and that used to be me. And then yeah. I go from that to getting out of the military, and I'm living at my mom's house staring at the wall for an hour because I can't figure out what is going on. Like, literally, I would stare at the wall by myself for an hour or however long I was there. Just being like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm taking responsibility too because the drinking, maybe I could have backed off the drinking, but I think all of it just accumulated over time and just there's definitely ways to get past it. And like I said, the brain treatment center, so there's transcranial magnetic stimulation that I went through, TMS, and that helped. There's changing my diet. There's eating better. There's meditating. There's float tanks. There's breath there's exercises. Warrior Health Foundation. There's Warrior you know, Health Foundation they're, they're to get your testosterone done. Specific investigating and researching into. There's so many modalities. I mean, there's yes. psychedelics. My friend Marcus had Amber, his wife, have vets, veterans exploring treatment solutions. I think is what it's called. And there, some guys are getting a lot of psychedelics. And I never would have thought that. I've never done anything like that. And it's huge. Huge benefit. I mean, guys are literally turning their life around. And there's team guys that are killing themselves, mm-hmm. which doesn't make any sense to me. We don't quit. So, What's Cairo's role in all this now? At what point in time? At, at this point in your life. Uh, he was coming to the end of his life, so I was basically taking care of him. And he was just having him there was good for me. But he was uh, he had a pretty rough road he was going down. with. He, had, he, he ended up getting cancer, spoiler alert. Um, it was rough. Like I was having to blend his food and syringe feed him and give him subcutaneous fluids. And it was rough towards the end. We maybe held on a little bit too long, but I just wanted to, you know, do everything we could for him. Do you, do you believe in divine intervention? I do. So part of your book and hearing you talk today, I thought about this and there's a, uh, this piece, you each compliment each other. Uh, from my opinion or from my observation and I say that because this dog was brought into your life you didn't think you were going to get this dog um, you ended up getting him I know you mentioned something about Bronco mm-hmm. and uh, and he grew on you right and uh, later on down the road he shot uh, probably suffered something that most dogs die from oh yeah uh, he is 100% healed um, comes back to you Right, and then you guys are separated again. I know you went to, was it Jump Master School? Is that what it's called? Went there, yeah. Yeah, so you leave knowing that it's a working dog, and most people I don't think understand that these dogs are handed off to many different handlers at certain points in their life, right? Yep. So, but the whole time, this dog holds a piece of you, right? The logistics, me and Matt were talking about this the other day, and it's the logistics of these animals as they're, they're considered weapons or considered equipment, right? According to probably military standards, you know, this mm-hmm. is a piece of equipment. It's a, it's human, a weapon. Yeah. Right. Yep. Considered a weapon. The humanization of it is, is that, no, that's a part of you, right? You're his dad. That's like your child, like you just said. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess where I'm going with this is that, you know, there's different parts of y'all's lives where you're separated and brought back together and brought back together and separated. And then you're brought back together for this biggest mission. And then, uh, not to spoil the rest of your book, but, you guys eventually, through a lot of frustration, you're able to get this animal. But in the interim, it sounded like this animal, your interaction with Cairo, continuous interaction with him, helped you. Helped. Uh, that, I guess, would be part of your resiliency and your healing, is that this animal was there for you, and then you're able to adopt this animal, and then he similar to you is now suffering from something and you're able to provide him the service he provided you. And, uh, though it was a rough end, uh, it, it's just amazing to see that this, this pattern, this path in your life that, uh, throughout your career in this dog's life, I mean, this dog came to you at age three, mm-hmm. it, man, it's just, it's incredible, you know, and to look at it from a divine intervention piece, I guess not to get spiritual, but, that you guys compliment each other so much through your life. You you were meant to be with that dog, and that dog was meant to be with you. And it's that dog was taken away from you several different times, and yet 
it guys fall right back into each other's laps, literally. Mm-hmm. And then and then you have him, you know, and you're with him for his last moments. I mean, what that that's incredible. Yeah, know? I mean, it's got to fight, fight for what you want. Nothing in life is easy. Life is hard, so you got to know what you want, and to to get it, it's going to be hard. You can't. Nothing ever is just going to come easy. And um, out of all the stuff that I've been through, I think my connection with God has been the most important thing to get back. Is after my friends died, I I lost that connection for sure. Like, why the fuck would I be here and they're not? So, getting that back was a big deal. The most important thing for sure. What would you want Cairo's legacy to be? Yeah, it's all in the book. I'm very happy with how it turned out. And not only just Cairo, but all the working dogs that we had, all the guys. It's just solid. Like, not everybody's going to write a book. Most guys, I'm I'm quiet, and it's weird to talk. Most guys aren't going to do this. So just to bring attention to what they've done. I mean, I, I had a great career, and I'm very happy with what I did, but I'm not here to talk about me. I'm here to talk about Cairo. It's great to have his book out there. It's a big piece of history, but... We were just one dog team out of the best operators in the world. And it was uh, it's very humbling to look back on it. And there's so many guys that have done so much. It's just, uh, yeah, we were lucky to be chosen for that. But there's so much more that goes into it. Well, I believe listening to the audio book, uh, it can be found on Audible and Amazon. I believe you did Cairo's story justice as well as your as your own uh, because they were intertwined. Um, it is a powerful book. It's a tearjerker. It's it's it was it's an honor to be sitting with you after reading that book and 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 hearing all that you went through. And I have a greater appreciation for the uh, for the the working dogs and a lot more understanding. And I think the listeners will as well. Canines have been used in, in policing for uh, for years, and we see that side of it. Uh, and Josh, he sees the side work, working out at Love Field, but the level that sh- the wor- y'all use the working dog for is 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 ten levels up. I don't think so. I think really? it's all yeah. I mean, everybody goes through their own stuff. Everybody's mm-hmm. just different circumstances, and y'all do the same thing. I mean, even the search and rescue dogs, that's some trauma that I don't want to see. Like, yeah, I mean, you guys have to see stuff here at home, and then the kids and stuff that you have to deal with. I just. It's all different, but it's the same, I guess, if that makes sense. I mean, it's still your working dogs to do an, an important job. Ours just looks a little different. Where can you find your book? So you can get it on Amazon, Audible. If you want a signed copy, I would get on Instagram and hit up the No Ordinary Dog Book page, send a message there. I have my personal Instagram page, Will Cheese with three E's as well. Um, I'm not very good at social media, so if you send me a message, I might not get back to you. I'm not, I'm not big on social media, but the dog book page, we try to stay on top of that at least. And yeah, if you want to do that, just get it on Amazon audible. I narrated it myself and I had my dog who I have now Nala. She's a, she's about three now. She's, she was in there the whole time I was in the booth. So it was good. It was quite the evolution (laughs) to, to read that thing. That's awesome. Do you have any foundations or nonprofits that you currently are a part of that you want to mention? Yeah, there's plenty of them out there. On the on the dog side, you have Mike Ritland with Warrior Dog Foundation. He helps give dogs that aren't exactly able to go home. Um, they're more of a handful. He gives them a good home. He takes care of them. Um, it's Jimmy Hatch, another teammate of mine, has Spike's Canine Fund. He helps you guys out, give ballistic vests and equipment to the dogs. And on the brain health side, there's the Brain Treatment Foundation. That was a big help for me. Uh, Warrior Health Foundation. They're, they're a huge um, organization. That's great. There's the Navy SEAL Foundation. There's SEAL Future Fund. I know it's like not best to just name multiple, but there's a lot of great foundations out there helping a lot of people. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of it out there to, to dive into and look into, and those are just some of them. Well, we have a lot of uh, young uh, first responders out there listening, both, both police and fire, and, and we have people in other countries listening. Anybody that's out there struggling, because uh, there's plenty, doing this uh, type of job police fire military any first responder what would you tell them to seek out how to seek out help make themselves better and improve going reach, from your experience reach out to a friend if you think somebody's in a bad situation even my best friend he was my roommate in buds he almost had death by cop in florida and i had no idea i was like i didn't know you're in such a bad place just reach out see if you can't help uh life's hard you're going to have your ups and downs and uh, if it's it, it won't last forever so if you're going through a hard time 
there's good people out there that'll help you and it won't it won't last forever it just sometimes life sucks and you can get through it well with that that's probably a good way to wrap this up i just want to thank you for coming on here and uh i know people say it to us and they say it to you but thank you for your service and thank you for sticking around thank you well thank you so much i can't thank you enough and um i wasn't sure we were gonna you know what direction the story was gonna go i read your book and um it's incredible and i encourage everyone else to go out and listen to it you know, buy it and 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 support uh this historic story um, in world history and I can't thank you enough for your service and all that you sacrificed thank you for coming on here thank you hey brother hey sister I'll never give up on you hey missus hey mister I'll see this all the way through sun and the moon I'll never give up on you Down when you're lonely I'll pull you up Life leaves you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder Together we'll run up from the bottom Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you Hey missus, hey mister, I'll see this all the way I'll never give up on you.